Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast or welcome if you are new. My name is Mallory Page. I'm a registered dietitian. I am also the host of this podcast and I created this as a space to be able to discuss nutrition, wellness, fitness, recovery-based topics, and others of a similar vein in a non-diet way because so much of what you encounter nowadays in these areas is very just ridden with diet culture. And I think when you're trying to make a decision around how you want to implement something in your life or your thoughts and views on it, it's really useful to have multiple perspectives. And I really hope that this podcast can provide that to you through research, educated opinions, my opinion, and so much more. Now, today's podcast is unique, and I would be lying if I said I was not scared. I'm not supposed to cuss on this podcast because then I have to put it in a separate section in freaking Apple, and it's such a pain. I would be lying if I said I wasn't extremely nervous. The first time I got a request to do these podcast episodes were when I put up a a question box on my story saying, hey, what episodes would you like me to do? And I saw this in there a couple times, which kind of shocked me. I honestly, I didn't ignore it, but I I kind of thought, well, is it really that important? You know, it's a couple people, but maybe I can skip over talking about this. But then I started to get DMs and I started to get questions about it whenever I did a Q&A. And I started to get more DMs. And then I had people asking me, are you ever going to do a podcast about this? So I thought, okay, whatever. I'm going to put it up on my story. I'm going to say, would you like a podcast on this without any context? And 99% of the people said yes. And so I thought to myself, Mallory, if your entire intention with this podcast was to be able to lead discussions around topics that may be controversial and that people may not have the non-diet viewpoint on and to be someone that is pushing the space forward and your audience is telling you that they need this and this is your scope of practice as a dietitian, then why are you shying away from it if you know that you can do your absolute best to lead it in the most respectful way and in turn, you could potentially help other people? So I put on my freaking big girl pants and I said, we're going to do the episode on Millie G. Fit. Now, I am not going to do a huge disclaimer at the beginning because of the fact that I I do disclaimers all throughout this podcast. I'm actually re-recording this intro because I recognized that I did a 10-minute intro (laughs) disclaimer that I thought was going to be a little too long and probably lose people before we even got into the episode. But I am going to say that this episode is in no way intended to be an attack on Millie G. Fit, also known as Amelia Goldsmith. I am not trying to say that she is a bad person. I am not trying to say anything about who she is, and I am also not going to be speculating in this episode. I'm not going to be taking a survey of her habits or her content and saying that from this content, I think this. I am presenting the factual things that I have seen and 
I am going to be sharing why this information is important to discuss only in the sense of trying to help you guys to understand how to interact with this in a way that will serve you the best. With all of that being said, I think it's time that we jump into it and we start off with talking about who is Millie G. Fit. Millie G. Fit is a fitness influencer. She, in her bio, talks about fam Millie, which is F-A and then M-I-L-L-Y, and hashtags gain with Millie. She is a Gymshark athlete. She does have a personal account called Amelia X Goldsmith, and then on her bio, she has something called info on her transformation with a arrow down. So she does talk about her transformation, which was mainly weight gain and an eating disorder. She has 285,000 followers on Instagram, and most of her content does center around workout routines, eating disorder recovery, her weight gain journey, and accepting her new body. But she does share content in all different areas, including lifestyle and fashion and beauty and all of those things. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I have now followed Millie for a few months and I've really tried to observe all of her content. And I would say that in my observation, it is quite varied, varied both in her posts and on her stories. So some days on her stories, she'll be talking about bad body image, some days fitness, some days an outfit she likes, just generalized lifestyle. And every single time I watch her stories, I'll say that she comes off as super kind and well-intentioned with what she's sharing. And whether you would view it as quote-unquote helpful or quote-unquote unhelpful, I think it's super important to recognize that because it means a lot when a creator in the social media space genuinely does care about their audience and really wants to make sure that they are, you know, speaking to them in a kind way. And she also does a lot of sharing things that are relatable to try to humanize herself as well. And I just think that it's important to recognize that. Now, if you've never heard of her before and you were just to go to her page right now, most of what you would be able to see is maybe a snippet of her stories, you know, for that day, but also her post. So in her posts, what you're going to see the most of are before and after photos that are consisting of her body pre-weight gain and post-weight gain or during ED and post-ED, but most of the time she says it is pre-weight gain and post-weight gain. What I eat in a day videos, photo dumps, workouts or body part focus workouts such as a glute focus workout, body image thoughts she's having, ED challenges versus recovery wins, whether it be more recent or back when she was struggling more, outfit videos, posted pics versus deleted pics, and so much more. So again, the posts are definitely varied, but I would say that the central theme is definitely weight gain and her hashtag gain with Millie is often used in those posts and in relation to what she's talking about. Now, I do also think it's important to note that this is her content in 2023. I'm not sifting through all of her page to gather the examples of post. I am literally using as of when I am recording this, her most recent posts that she has up. And she does mention that when she started her account, she actually started it as a way to share 
unsustainable diet tips and workouts. And this didn't change until September of 2020 when she started sharing about her weight gain journey. I am finding this information from her Instagram posts, and there is actually a pinned photo. It's the second pinned photo, or the middle pinned photo on her account that details the exact timelines and numbers of her Instagram journey. It states that in September of 2020, she started posting about weight gain. In January of 2021, four months into weight gain, she was sharing it with 10K people in her community. In April of 2021, she left her job to do social media for full-time and became a Gymshark athlete. In May of 2021, she grew to 100K. In June of 2021, she finished her weight gain journey. And then in December of 2021, she hit 200K followers on Instagram. Now, I think something that you should notice about this timeline is that sharing about her weight gain was definitely what catapulted her follower numbers and also... That was her sharing the journey as she went through it with her followers. This is just an important distinction because ultimately, there's a big difference between sharing what you're going through and sharing recommendations to help people through what you've gone through. Even with her content now, I think that it can be kind of hard to distinguish whether she is kind of trying to share as someone that may be still going through certain aspects or if she's trying to share as someone that has gone through something and is now on the other side. Now, this is just a general observation. I am just stating something that I personally, as a consumer, was trying to infer from her content. And there's actually a reason why I think that I could be inferring this that I'm going to discuss later. But I think it's something to keep in mind that her growth was really catapulted through the weight gain and also through her sharing her journey. Before we dive deeper into this and her content, I really want to call out the fact that As someone that has been a content creator all the way back to when I was struggling with my eating disorder and struggles, there is stuff that I have shared in the past that is so horrendous to me. I mean, so problematic, so embarrassing, even just like, I think we all have this, right? We all look back at certain versions of our past self and think, ugh. I don't know if I would do that now or, oh, look at that outfit or whatever it may be. And I just think that we have to give credit to people that are on social media like Millie that are sharing their journey through something that's really challenging and being vulnerable and putting themselves out there. Being online is really hard and we're all supposed to be constantly growing and with growth, we also outgrow and it's always a little uncomfortable to to look back on those stages, whether or not you document it on social media or not. So having it documented on social media is kind of a freaking weird thing. So I have no idea if Millie ever feels what I'm saying right now. Personally, she may not think about this at all, but I know that this was something that I thought about. And I even had this come up when I was very, very far, far along in my journey as someone that was recovered, but I still didn't have all of the knowledge I have as a professional. And I just feel like 
that continuous version of growth, there's always things that we may say or do that we end up looking back on and think, eh, probably wouldn't do that now. And so with all of this being said, I also am not going to go all the way back through Millie's old content and try to use that as a comparison or make that say anything about her. I don't think that that's fair at all. And I think she's also admitted to the fact that there have been problematic things that she shared, probably very similar to how I feel about the things I shared when I was in my ED in freaking 2014 and putting stuff online. And thank goodness for me, the Instagram platform was much less in depth at that time. So there's not as much of a, a record of what those things would have been. I didn't have stories to go on and talk to, but Millie had the full on Instagram thing. So I just wanted to point that out that I'm not going to be going back to old content or holding her to that. We're going to be observing the content that she is posting right now. And there's only one caveat to that that I will specifically explain in this following section that I think you guys will understand why I bring it up in this context. So let's do a brief overview of the content that she shares currently and some of the thoughts I have about this while keeping in mind that if this was the only thing that she was doing, I probably wouldn't have made this episode. So this is just to give you a full idea of some of my thoughts before we dive into more of the specific services or the guidebook that I really want to talk about. So the first thing that I want to say is that because her content is very mixed, it can also leave a consumer with mixed feelings about the purpose of the messaging. Some examples that I found of this as I was going through her content is something like posting a glute-focused workout that is quite body part and aesthetic focused, and then a few posts down having something that says, chasing a bigger bum, smaller waist, or abs isn't going to change your body dysmorphia, and we need to work on enjoying what we have already. Another example is posting something like, I am defying diet culture, or no, POV, sorry. You are defying diet culture by lifting heavy, eating more, and not sticking to cardio machines. Another example is posting a what I eat in a day video with a body check at the beginning of the video, even though in the caption she's saying she's not eating this way to achieve a certain body, and in her content she shares how it's super important not to just be trying to eat this certain way, to look this certain way, etc., etc. Now, Again, as I've restated multiple times, I cannot speculate on exactly why Millie does this or what this means for her on her personal journey with her eating disorder. What I can speak to is the way that this type of content can affect people in general, but especially those that struggle with food, body image, and exercise, as well as what I've seen typically in people that may post this type of content, and even in myself when I was posting content that was a little bit mixed. So the first part of this is talking about how this content can affect people. Now, as a registered dietitian that works in areas of people struggling with food, body image, and exercise, I have personally talked to around 300 
personal clients about this, but I've also had so many discussions with you guys in my DMs. And I can say that the general consensus with people that I have talked to about these things that are struggling is that this type of content that delivers contradictions is really hard to understand and can overall be not helpful. So for example, it's a wonderful message to say that chasing an aesthetic goal is not going to change your body dysmorphia, such as with that second example that I was talking about. But then if you post something about how to change your body, especially in a specific area like your glutes or whatever else it may be, This can be quite confusing for a slightly disordered brain or for someone that is trying to understand what's appropriate for them in terms of how they should think about their body. We know that the whole point of reaching full recovery from any struggle with food is to actually not be focusing on aesthetic goals and to be able to have body neutrality. And so even if someone with a disordered brain, with a history of eating disorders, or someone just in general that doesn't resonate with either of those things, thinks that this info is healthy or helpful for them, it doesn't actually mean that that's true because that part of your brain that is disordered could be what's telling you that. Most people that struggle with disordered relationships of food, exercise, or body image, or even a lot of women in general, really want there to be this way of controlling body image and food and exercise while still having full body acceptance and full body freedom and neutrality. But there is no shortcut to this system. It doesn't exist that you can specifically focus on aesthetic goals and also completely accept your body as it is, no matter what. So even though I know that that message can be hard to hear and I know that there can be a lot of resistance to it, it is still something that is important to speak about because it is a kind of contradiction that we can see within the content and so many people's content online. To further drive this point home, there is actually a YouTube video that Millie shares that I watched that references how to minimize fat gain with weight gain. This is pretty much the reverse dieting technique that we talked about in the last episode. And if you listen to that episode, you'll know that as I go through it, it's first of all not science-backed, but it's also something that is it's really the epitome of diet culture. And so with that in mind, I think it's important to recognize that although we may want some of this type of content to hold merit and it feels good to see someone else share it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's best for us and that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the full recovery type of content. Now, again, when we're discussing the reason why some people can post this type of content, I cannot speak for Millie, and I'm not trying to speculate on why she is doing it, but what I have typically seen with people that can post kind of ambiguous content like this is that oftentimes there is a lack of understanding on what diet culture really is, 
And someone that is working through their own relationship to food, body, image, and exercise, even if they're really far along, also may still have things that they're working on that are contributing to their content. So for me, for example, there were stages where I was so deep into diet culture that everything that I posted was that way. But then there was a time where I was much, much, much further out of diet culture, much more in my recovery, but I still posted things that were unintentionally diet culture So, for example, with the content that we were talking about, diet culture is 100% still present in someone that is going to the gym specifically to try to gain muscle, even if they're staying off their cardio machines or they're eating more than they used to, that isn't taking away diet culture. That is still focusing on your body. It's still focusing on your aesthetic goals. That is the inherent nature of what diet culture is about, is having control around your body. Now, I know for a fact, because of how many of you guys have chatted with me about this before and and my programs, that this is a super, super complicated topic. And it's okay if you're feeling resistance to this. We don't have time to fully go over this conversation in this podcast, but I'm more than happy to do so because I do know it's really complicated. But I promise you that when you are thinking about trying to still achieve an aesthetic goal, your disordered brain is still a part of this because it is so smart and it really can convince anyone that because they're at this certain place in their recovery or because of X, Y, and Z reason, they can still follow these certain mindsets or that's not diet culture, but it still can be. And so some things that just stand out to me in general that may show someone is still kind of dealing with some diet culture mindsets or still, you know, at the last stages of their journey, maybe not fully recovered, is that they still actively have a lot of bad body image days. They're consistently talking about it, about their negative body image. Now, everyone in the world still has days that they don't feel 100% about themselves. But I can tell you confidently, as someone that is recovered, I rarely ever have days where I'm even thinking about my body. It's pretty, and I by thinking about my body, it means thinking about my body negatively, thinking about what I don't like, thinking about want to change it, whatever it may be. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Other things is still engaging in somewhat diety or health-based foods. And by health-based foods, I'm not saying like eating fruits and vegetables. I'm saying do they consistently opt for things that are healthified? Someone that is still working towards aesthetic goals, someone that is having a hard time taking rest days and or has never taken a full break from exercise and recovery, and many other things. I again want to note, I honestly don't know if Millie is doing any of these things. I didn't put together this list as a way to target her and say, oh, she's doing this stuff. I put it together because in general, these are things that you may see that cause someone to post this kind of content. Now, this is the only thing that I'm going to bring up that is past and like many years ago, but just one thing that was a little strange to me was how many of Millie's highlights as I went through them. Um, I was actually trying to find more information on when her guide was released and the next story was automatically this like 
motivation tab and then progress tab. And I won't lie, some of that stuff was like pretty intense, like the, you know, just the space that she was in. And I know that that she's proclaimed, you know, that was a really unhealthy spot for her. So I do think that's a little challenging, a little ambiguous when you still have stories that were kind of promoting your old disordered mindset. I doubt that she's even aware of that. It's probably just up there because she forgot. I mean, I had highlights from so long ago that were not the best that I deleted. So I doubt that there is any purpose behind that. But I do think, again, it can lead to confusion for the consumer. Now, the second thing that comes up when it comes to her content is that she clearly shares things that are targeted towards people in ED recovery. This isn't me making this up. I mean, she specifically has posts that talk about her ED and things that she gained from having freedom, things that her ED took from her. So in saying that, even if you're not saying intentionally, oh, I want to target people in ED recovery, that type of content is obviously going to draw those people in. And so she's doing that, but she is also sharing types of posts that have been heavily debated in the ED community or even just in general in terms of their benefit. So the first example of this is before and after photos, especially ones that are containing quite triggering images of being at the quote-unquote smallest self. Now, we could do an entire episode on this, but in short, it's pretty well documented that it is not helpful for people in recovery or honestly even in general to see posts of someone when they were at their sickest during their ED. Not only can it be triggering, but it can also serve as fuel for people to try to replicate what that person did to achieve that body. And now especially keep in mind that she still has those old story highlights up. And I, again, don't think it's intentional, but I'm just saying like they could go to that, get specific ideas, and then try to achieve this body that she's sharing. It's not even something that doesn't have any kind of quote-unquote recommendations or habits that were involved in that. Now, I am not saying that it's her job to manage everybody's triggers. I don't think that we can manage someone's triggers. It's just impossible to manage everyone's triggers. And I'm also not saying that everyone is triggered by these this content. Personally, at my space in my recovered journey, I don't see these posts and feel triggered by them. They just kind of are there to me. But if you're marketing towards people with EDs and this is something that is heavily debated, you're going to want to keep it in mind. Now, the second example of this is what I eat in a day photos. Also, I should mention it's not just photos, it's videos, it's reels, it's YouTube videos, it's whatever it is. Now, what I eat in a day are generally debated because number one, comparison. Number two, everybody has different needs. So what's the point? Number three, they're potentially triggering. But the most widely debated form of what I eat in a day is one that includes a body check at the beginning. Most people say that when someone posts a body check, it kind of unintentionally sends a subliminal message of, if you eat like this, you will look like me. Now, again, I do not think that everyone that does these videos is trying to do that. Most of the people saying that are saying things like, oh, it's just for inspiration or for meal ideas. But it doesn't negate the fact that it could be sending this message. And so, again, it's something to keep in mind when it comes to trying to talk to the ED population. The ultimate question with both of these examples is, 
Is the content more helpful than it is hurtful for the audience that you're sending it to and in general? If you know that there is a chance that someone could see your old sick photos or what you eat in a day, and this could send them into a relapse because the fact that the content has been documented continuously to be potentially harmful to people that you are promoting it to, is it really worth it to you? If you weigh the pros and the cons, the gain versus the loss, do you think it is more important for you to post this type of content to this audience than it is to not because of how this could protect those people that could potentially struggle? No, not everybody that sees it is going to struggle, but for the ones that do, do you feel comfortable with the fact of what this could do this, what this could do for them? With the second point, I do want to bring up a predicament that many content creators face in posting content, though. I've never seen Millie talk about this, but I have seen a lot of other content creators talk about it, and so I wanted to bring it up as a way to just give some context. So the thing about content that does well on Instagram is that things like before and afters and what I eat in a days are really popular. They can generate a lot of traffic, And when this is someone's job, such as Millie's, because she does this full time, it can feel pretty pressuring because you want your content to do well, just like anyone wants to do well in their job. And ultimately, there will be a lot of people probably in her community that are telling her that this content is helpful for her. Furthermore, weight gain for her specifically was obviously the main topic that grew her audience as well as like her personality and all of those other things. I'm just saying topic based. And so I'm sure that, you know, when, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. What I can say is that for many content creators I've talked to, there can be a really weird transition when you go through a journey and you're sharing it And then you kind of complete this journey, but you still want to stay relatable to your followers. You know, this is what they came here for. And although you know that they probably love you as a person, that doesn't always mean that what your OG followers love is going to translate into how IG, the algorithm, views your content. And so I think it can just be a really hard balance to try to feel like you are sharing things that are relatable and that people want to see from you and staying within your brand and staying popular and not losing followers because this is your livelihood and also trying to make sure that you're being respectful and not harming your mental health and you know there's a lot of challenge in that. I also think it's impossible to make everyone happy so it can really feel like there's this you know I can never win type of feeling and Again, I'm not saying she's feeling all of these things, but I do think this is something that often comes up in the content creator community. Now, this brings us to the last point, which is the challenge of sharing about a nuanced topic online without being a professional. There are many creators online that grow their followings because of sharing a personal journey with a medical issue or a health concern. And then they're put into this kind of strange position because they have completed that journey and are no longer fully able to share them being quote-unquote in it or maybe being as quote-unquote relatable. And yet they're not technically qualified to give advice on what they went through because it's a medical issue, it's a health issue, and there's a ton of nuance and personal experience that... There's a ton of nuance to it, and personal experience can't 
replace having certifications and training. Now, when I say this, you may naturally be thinking to yourself, well, does Millie have any training? From what I could find, she went to University of Sussex and got a bachelor's degree in psychology. She actually did do a project or dissertation or something similar in the area of dieting and how it affects women or something similar. So she did have a little bit of an extra information and understanding of those things, I'm sure, from that research or studies that from those research or studies that she did. But her program was not based in talking about eating disorders from what I could find. And regardless, it's not a certification-based program, so we can appreciate how this definitely could give her more of an understanding on these things and ultimately help her in the way that she shares online, while also recognizing that having a bachelor's in psychology is not the same as being a credentialed therapist, doctor, or registered dietitian. You guys probably understand more about what certification processes entail, but you have to do a bachelor's, then you have to do supervised hours, then you have to sit for an exam, and then you have to do continuing education, and many programs even require master's degrees or further education. So there is a difference between those things, and that does affect what you actually can recommend or say around these areas. Now, I think it's important to mention that people that are not credentialed give advice all the time online. And even people that are credentialed in certain areas will also give advice outside of their scope of practice. And there were YouTube videos that I watched where Millie does give a disclaimer that she is not a healthcare professional. And I do really appreciate that. I think that's super important and shows effort on her part. But even if you do put a disclaimer, it doesn't negate the fact that people are still going to listen to you and the advice that you give. And so that kind of brings up a challenging chicken and the egg situation. You know, is it the fault of the consumer for listening? Is it the fault of the creator for sharing? I don't think there's a right answer, but it is still something that we need to acknowledge. After going through this, I stand by the areas of concern that I brought up around her content And I think it's important that we discussed it just so that you guys can think critically about it and make your own informed decision about what serves you. But there are ultimately people online doing way worse things and sharing way worse things. And I also do not believe that this is out of ill intention. I think she has good intention with what she posts. And so I'm sure some of you here may be thinking I'm being nitpicky or I'm being extreme with what I'm saying. And I totally understand if that is where you're at. But to be honest, I never even would have made this episode if that was the only thing that we were discussing. As I started to look into Millie and why people may even be recommending her, the reason why I decided to do this episode is what I found at the first link in her Instagram bio and what she is referencing when she has that pointed down arrow to that link in her Instagram bio, which is her ebook. So this is where we really get into things that I would say are important. I mean, everything's important here, but this ebook is super important. So I, of course, purchased this ebook so that I could give a full review for you guys and also make sure that I'm not just making a quick judgment around her putting up this ebook. This came out around 41 weeks ago, according to her highlights, so less than a year ago. 
as I mentioned, it is the first thing that is linked in her bio, so she is definitely actively selling this. And the guide itself is called Guide to Weight Gain. And then above that, it says Recovery and Health. There was an extended version on their the website that she hosts this on. I wasn't able to get that because it's been sold out. I'm very curious to know what that was, but I couldn't find it anywhere. So I just bought this quote-unquote non-extended version. And the price for it was 15 pounds, which is 19 USD. And the extended version was only a few dollars more. I think it was maybe 18 pounds or so. Now, I'm going to go through the important sections of this guide. I'm going to try to give you an overview and summary because we could spend forever talking about it. But the first thing that I actually want to talk about is the price point. Now, from what I've gathered, I don't imagine Millie had any ill intention with her pricing. I bet her reasoning was something along the lines of wanting to make it affordable or accessible or maybe even reflect the fact that she doesn't have certifications or something like that. But the reality is that, unfortunately, pricing it this way does come with consequences, even if it's unintentional. A very inexpensive guide like this made about a very in-depth, nuanced topic around health is typically a red flag to adults because they will know that a topic like this can't be covered in a guide, especially not one with that price, and really should only be covered with a practitioner that is specialized. However, to a teenager who likely has limited expendable income or doesn't have a lot of choice in terms of what they're able to get access to, there is likely going to be a huge appeal to an ebook like this that can help them with their bodies, supposedly, and comes at an inexpensive price. Teenagers and even young adults can be really easily influenced, and they're also more of the target demographic for something like an ebook than it is older adults. And they also trust content a lot more than another adult that may be more cautious about trusting something from an influencer that is online. Now, don't get me wrong, I get that making something a low price can be super, super helpful. This is why in my practice, I have free options for supporting people. This podcast, you know, I have multiple scholarships for Live Unrestricted for every single group, and I continuously try to make sure that there are ways that I am serving people that don't have access to as much. But before you say that it's better for Millie to have priced this guide this way so that people have an option to buy something like this, please let me share more about this guide. So moving to the next point, this is called the Recovery and Health Guide to Weight Gain. This automatically shows that this is being marketed towards people in recovery in a certain way. I mean, you can't really look over that if it is specifically in the title. So something to keep in mind. Now, the first page or like the next page reads this. Family. You know, that's her like little hashtag. Hello. I'm so happy to be able to share my knowledge with you about all things weight gain, health, happiness, and food freedom. This isn't solely for those in recovery. This is for anyone who is looking to find freedom in life 
get some muscle gains, and simply learn more about the importance of food as fuel. I hope this little guide can help you navigate through the confusing world of fitness and health and all of the various connotations around it. After many years of experience, including lots of mistakes, I've learned a plethora of things which you'll discover within this guide. I appreciate her positivity. I'll continue to say that. Of course, you can hear with this does not seem ill-intentioned, but personal experience is not professional experience. You can hear multiple times in this that she acknowledges how she's making this from her experience and from the things that she's done. And you would think that someone that maybe has kind of high levels of critical thinking and is very aware of how things could affect them, they may read this and think, oh, actually, I need professional experience. But there's a lot of people that will not. Then it's a table of contents page, and then it goes to a little bit about her, where it again explains more about her journey. But there is a part on that page that I want to point out where she does say, however, I want to emphasize the importance of reaching out for professional help. This guide can touch on the service, but a professional such as a therapist can really help you reach the core reasons behind your thoughts and behaviors. So I do think that's good that she'd mentioned that. And she mentions this throughout the guide. So I'm just trying to bring up that she does say this. So now we go into a page about how to use this guide. There is a lot on this page. The one thing that I want to read to you is this. To make it clear, this guide is purely for weight restoration, which involves weight gain. I don't want people to use this guide to gain weight past an optimally healthy way. There's being underweight slash borderline underweight and gaining weight. There's being healthy weight and gaining weight. But then there's also being overweight and gaining weight. Please be responsible and always seek professional help. So the first thing is the weight restoration part. She specifically says it's for weight restoration. And this implies that you are achieving a healthy weight after being underweight. And weight restoration is really recommended to be overseen by doctors or a healthcare team who is monitoring your vitals to make sure you're medically stable. And this is an indicator that this book is not only for eating disorder recovery, but not suitable in covering the topics it's trying to talk through. So that could be term confusion, but that could also just be lack of knowledge around what's appropriate. Now, the second thing is, or the second thing to note is, what was the intention behind the distinction of weight classes? I mean, first, we know that BMI is not a good system and also that health at every size exists. So I just don't quite know what she means. I don't really want to speculate past what's illicitly said, but I still think it's something that I kind of noticed as I was reading through it. Now, the last and most important thing about the intro is the lack of disclaimer. This is wild. Every single healthcare provider that puts together a guide, and honestly, every single person ever should be putting disclaimers on everything that they make because of the fact that it protects, protects the people that they're selling to, but also it protects them. It protects them from getting sued. It protects them and in so many different ways. And so she may have just not understood the importance of this. She may have forgotten it, but this does not negate the importance of having this or the problematic nature of her not having it. This should have been right front and center on one of the first pages in the intro, and 
This is especially true because of the fact that she has such heavy indications towards the fact that the book is meant to help with recovery. You know, even on the page that she introduces herself, she includes that she has a personal history with eating disorders, which, you know, this further alludes to the fact that she should have a disclaimer and also the fact that she's trying to kind of sell this as an eating disorder recovery resource. And so, this is the part that is super concerning, and although I don't think that she, of course, did this on purpose, I'm sure she would be, you know, happy to put in a disclaimer if she knew it was so important, but regardless, it still speaks to the lack of knowledge around these topics and the nuance that goes into creating recommendations for this. Next, we are going to go into the actual content that is in the guide, but before we do that, I actually do have to give a trigger warning. I know that this may seem very dramatic, but to say I was shocked and alarmed at what this guide shared would be an understatement. I genuinely thought it was just going to be one of those things where I read it and thought, eh, you know, it's not totally ideal. But truly, the content in this book is very problematic for someone that is trying to recover from an eating disorder and could even be extremely triggering. And so if you're not in the best place to listen to this material, please do yourself a service and do not listen to the rest of this podcast. If you were considering buying this guide for all of the reasons I already stated in reasons to come, I would highly recommend against it as I truly believe that it is detrimental as a whole. I'll speak about the positive aspects and the negative aspects in a second, but regardless, it does not overlook the fact that it is not going to be helpful to someone, especially someone in recovery. So now we're going to dive into the content starting off with section one, which is calorie surplus. So Millie kicks it off discussing this, which is kind of interesting because although I see how it relates to weight gain, if she is trying to target people that are in recovery to some extent, they likely know some of this information and they're probably pretty scared of the idea of a caloric surplus. Most people that struggle with an ED or even if just people that are underweight do have a fear or feel extremely distressed by this idea. And it's for this reason that most care teams that are working with people that are struggling with food, body image, exercise, they go to great lengths to hide calorie counts from patients in treatment and refrain from talking about calories at all. And also people struggling with restrictive EDs and even people that are more in the fitness space usually count calories kind of obsessively. And it's a pretty important goal within recovery to actually have them stop counting the calories. In fact, it can be extremely triggering to be attempting to eat in a cal caloric surplus while counting calories. And this can have potential for relapse in someone that tries to dive into this. They may take on more extreme compensatory behaviors if they're pushing themselves into a caloric surplus without the psychological support. And yes, although she does recommend having help from a therapist while following this guide, there's no way to ensure that each reader of this book has the support of a therapist. And she also doesn't recommend a dietitian or seeing the doctor. I would always recommend seeing the doctor first, but then also, you know, a dietitian would be technically who you're looking at to help with that food re reintroduction typically. But let's just say that she isn't trying to market it towards people in recovery. 
this still is not a good recommendation for someone that's just trying to gain weight because utilizing calorie counting can be a very easy gateway to disordered habits. And there are also just a ton of other ways to achieve weight gain or eating enough without tracking. So this advice just doesn't make the most sense. Now, another thing in this section that stood out to me is the way that she was talking about calories in, calories out. And we just know that this equation is not the full picture. There are a lot of inaccuracies in the information that she shares here, both scientifically and just in terms of her own kind of personal bias. And so there's so much that we could go over in this section and kind of disprove. We could honestly spend a whole podcast on it, but I think that overall we can just say that this section really isn't beneficial and we can move on to the second section, which is tracking your progress. This section is what truly, it sent me into orbit. I'm not even trying to be extreme. I just, I was in so much disbelief that this was what she shared. So these are her recommendations in terms of tracking your progress. I would read it out word for word just so you guys know that I'm not nixing anything or trying to change it to fit my bias, but we just don't have time. So I summarize it as accurately as possible. So the first thing that she talks about is doing progress pictures. She recommends that these, she recommends these because she says that they can help you keep track of the quote-unquote small changes that are happening and even help you to notice fluctuations that may happen around your period. She says to take pics on the same day at the same time, ensure consistent lighting, take front, side, and back pictures using the self-timer on your camera, wear the same underwear, and try not to pose or tense. She also recommends a tape measure. She personally says that she felt that seeing her measurements go up was empowering. That she she said watching her glute measurements go up like crazy helped her feel better. And she recommended to measure your waist, hips, bust, bicep, and thigh. She also recommends doing this before or after tracking your taking your progress progress pics and making a record of it. Last but not least, she talks about weighing and scales. She said in a recovery story YouTube video that she has that her weight on the scale was never something she really cared a lot about. And she even admits that this is pretty unusual in the ED space, which kind of makes you question if this advice is reputable. But she basically says that you can use this as a tool if it's not triggering to you and recommends to weigh yourself in the morning before breakfast and minimal clothing to make sure it is, quote-unquote, as accurate as possible. I just, there's so much to dissect here. I want to make note of the fact that you will see in the weighing and scales portion, she says to only do this if it is not triggering for you, but she doesn't say that around tape measures or progress pictures. Also, just this advice is literally, it is so similar to advice that I have seen on like pro-ana sites. I'm not even kidding. I mean, I just, I don't know how she thought this was okay. This is so detrimental to people in recovery. And this isn't just me saying that as someone that works in the space. 
This is stuff that we have seen from research articles. I can, I want to do an episode on weighing yourself where we discuss this more, but I promise you that this is not helpful. And if the intent of weight gain is to help you to feel your best, then you should be just focusing on how you feel. If you are trying to weight restore, it is dangerous to be doing this on your own. This is why you should be going to a doctor and you should have a treatment team and hopefully they are monitoring your weight gain and you don't have to see it. I mean, there are so many complications that can come about during weight restoration. You could go into refeeding syndrome. Your heart rate could get too low. Your organs could be failing. If you are truly having to weight restore, there's a lot of things that could be happening. And to be recommending progress pictures and tape measures and weighing scales, I just feel like this is beyond my belief. I again want to reiterate that the point of recovering or of gaining weight is to take the focus off of your body and to be able to achieve body neutrality. And just think about that concept in comparison to what I just read. Now, next we go into a few sections of her guide that have some merit to them, which is the mentally accepting more food and removing triggers section, the physically accepting more food and bloating section, honoring the extreme hunger phase, your wardrobe, stop comparing yourself, and and there's even a few others, but those are the main ones, and they're pretty much one after another. There's a lot of things that I could read from there that I do agree with. You know, she talks about how recognizing your triggers is important because they're hard to control. She talks about unfollowing people on social media that don't make you feel good, removing a mirror or throwing it away, getting rid of diet foods. (laughs) It is interesting that she does say getting rid of scales and measuring tapes in the triggering section though, so that's kind of a contradiction. She does discuss bloating, which I think is great because a lot of people don't. She notes that the extreme hunger phase comes, you know, after periods of restriction and how it can be important to really listen to these things. But there were a lot of things that were a little off in her recommendations here. She talks about how arbitrary clothing sizes are, getting rid of small clothes, you know, having something fun when you are going through the process of getting new clothes, making sure on bad body image days that you have like a toolkit to utilize, writing down limiting beliefs, etc, etc. And I think this section is just important to recognize or to mention, I should say, because I'm not trying to say that this whole guide was so horrible and that I can't see her well-intentioned thoughts within the guide. I think that these are honestly the type of tips that she should be sharing online, not that she should listen to me, but I'm just saying I should say people in general that are non-credentialed, I do think that they can share these type of tips of, you know, get rid of those small clothes or like everything, one experiences things different and you know, remove that mirror in your room. They're just a lot more general and they don't have potential to cause harm in the same way. Now, I'm not saying that every single one of these recommendations that I read would be this way, but I think that these sections really show how hard she was trying to put together potentially helpful recommendations, even if she's a little unsure about what she should be saying, hence the contradictions of something like recommending tape measures and then taking back that you should recommend tape measures. 
Now, the next section that we go into is, again, not ideal. It's post-weight gain, and she actually talks about how this looked in her specific weight gain journey, and she discusses how she stopped her weight gain journey when she gained everything that she lost. And this is a really problematic idea, although I know probably at the surface level you guys are thinking, why is this problematic, Mallory? It's really not that deep, but I promise you that this type of rhetoric I've seen affect so many clients negatively because they get into their head that it's only okay for them to gain weight up to the point that they lost, but who's to say that your set point range is where you were before you started. I mean, you were younger than you were. I mean, she was going through this for a few years. So how do you know that that's your ending point? You should be looking at other things to help. And I will give her the credit that she did say other things. She said her period being back for three to four months, her confidence, her social life, her mental health, and her strength in the gym and around food. I like the period, confidence, social life, and mental health. I do not like strength in the gym and around food. I, first of all, don't know what it means around food. And again, want to emphasize that going from doing calorie counting or calorie restriction and cardio machines to going to the gym is not recovery. I, I know that this bothers people so much and I know it's hard. I get it. I was this person like 1 million percent so I know how hard it is but I promise you that it's just another way of controlling things. So that's not a good indicator. She also mentions that this happened when she reached a specific amount of weight gain. Honestly, I don't even really want to say it here because I just think even though I've already given a trigger warning, it's just unnecessarily triggering And she does mention that this is different for everybody and that she didn't have a goal to reach a certain weight, but just trusted the process until she felt like it was done and she was to her full potential. But uh, I just think that it's really hard when someone mentions a specific weight. It, It breeds comparison. It makes someone else potentially feel like if their weight gain is more than what your weight gain is, then it may be bad. It's just the less that we can use numbers, the better, always. Now, the other thing that she talks about is then finding a quote-unquote new maintenance in her body, and she gives specific recommendations, again, with calorie numbers and examples on how to do this and decreasing your calories, and I'm, again, not going to say the specifics, But wow, it felt like we went through this whole process of quote-unquote trying to gain weight and trying to remove triggers only to then control things again. And yes, she did mention that you didn't have to do that. There was like one option that went along with if you were counting your calories and then another option that went along with if you weren't counting your calories. But ugh, just it's not what we want to do and finding a quote-unquote new maintenance isn't something you have to do it should be happening naturally that your body just finds a place that makes the most sense and if you're trying to force finding a new maintenance you're probably not at your set point weight i also do think it's important to mention that millie's body and weight did in fact change from when she 
was selling this guide and what she thought her endpoint was to now, she will speak to this. So it's not me trying to make judgments or observations like it's important where her body ended up. The only reason why I mention it is because it shows how this advice could be given somewhat prematurely or that she thought that she was at a place that was different than what she was. Now, of course, there's a million reasons as to why someone's body will change, and I'm not trying to speculate, but I do think that we have to be able to acknowledge that there isn't this specific end point when it comes to weight gain and that our body is going to fluctuate and that you shouldn't be trying to reach this quote-unquote maintenance to get this body that you ideally want. The true end goal of a process like this should be to find set point weight and really that can only be found by focusing on how you feel rather than how you look or a specific number. So ebook discussion. Honestly, I really can see that Millie probably had good intent with this guide. I mean, she priced it low. She really, I think, tried to make the messaging positive and supportive, and she thought it out to some degree. And I really appreciate the fact that she probably created this out of demand from her followers. She probably put a lot of time into it. And I guarantee that she wasn't thinking, oh, I'm doing this because, you know, I want to try to be an expert in the space or I want to potentially harm people. I just cannot imagine that she had any intention like that. But ultimately, she went wrong with with doing this guide in the way that she did. I mean, first, it should have never been marketed as a recovery guide. Second, she shouldn't have been giving recommendations on this topic that's way too nuanced and she's not credentialed in. Third, I mean, she's just doesn't seem to be, I don't know if it was as taken into account, like all the potential risks. I mean, there's no disclaimer on it. It's just something that maybe is well-intentioned but poorly delivered and could really, it, there's just no way around the fact that there is, it has no business being sold. I'm trying to dance around the fact because I really want to make sure you guys know that I don't think she did this with bad intention, but this is unethical, it's unsafe, it's outside of scope of practice, it is dangerous for her and for the people that buy it. It has bad advice, even if there are some good points in it. It is misinformed and it is just incorrect and no one should be buying this guide at all. I genuinely believe that and I would not say that lightly. If there was anything I potentially thought could be more beneficial about this guide or that it wouldn't actually be detrimental, I would not speak so harshly about it, but I don't want anyone on this podcast that was considering buying it or has been following it to continue to because I really, really, really think it's harmful, whether you're just trying to gain weight or whether in a recovery journey. If you want an example on why people shouldn't do this, just look into the Brittany Dawn scandal. It was recently covered on the Maintenance Phase podcast, and I covered it forever ago on my TikTok, and I want to do an episode on it. It exhibits exactly why this stuff can be really scary for the person that's doing it and for the people that are following it. 
And I know that Brittany Dawn's example is more extreme than this one, so I'm not trying to say they're the exact same, but it definitely shows a similar scenario that we can look to as to why this is not a good idea. Now, because of how many DMs that I've gotten about this ebook and this content, I actually do have some experience of experiences of people that have done this guide and or done the coaching that supposedly she followed, which is called Empower Online Coaching, if I'm not mistaken. So many of the people that have said they went through the guide, which this is a very small sample, okay? I'm not saying I know all of these people that have done it, but just the few that I've talked to, they have spoken to the fact that they felt that it helped at first, but they got stuck on the fact that they were supposed to still be calorie counting and measuring themselves, weighing themselves, and also that the mindsets were still aesthetic focused. And they found that both in the guide and when they were doing the Empower Online Coaching, I think we could do a whole video just, or sorry, a whole podcast just on Empower Online Coaching. I'm not super, super familiar with it. And I also haven't been around to see Millie talk about it much. So I just feel like it's not worth spending too much time on it because I don't want to speculate on things that I don't know. But what I do know is that I, when I went to the Empower Coaching website, there were only two options, weight loss and gaining muscle. So... <laughs> The vibe didn't start off strong from there. I think that many of the concerns that people expressed about the guide were already the ones that I went through and they were just experiencing that from a client perspective. And, you know, it's unfortunate that they also had those experiences, but I feel like it's important to share them so that you guys have a realistic viewpoint that this has also been replicated within client experiences. Now, I will also say that I have had so many people reach out to me saying how much they love Millie and how much she has positively influenced them as well, that they like her personality, that they feel like they've hit milestones with her. And so I am not just saying that people have reached out to me with negative words about her, most of the people that have talked about her have spoken to her positive attributes, no matter what. And I think that says a lot about how she is perceived online. And I want to give credit to her as well with some of the feedback that people have given me about the fact that she is working to normalize weight gain within the fitness field. I think that's something that's important to note because Although in my field, as someone that works with eating disorders and haze, we're working on completely destigmatizing weight at all because health at every size exists. But I would say that one of the fields that is the least understanding of that movement and also the furthest behind in the research around that movement, so their beliefs of it, are is the fitness field. And I think people in the fitness field can be really, really ruthless I mean, Stephanie Buttermore was a good example of this, and there's many other people that I have seen that have gained weight in the fitness field that have been ridiculed, even while documenting that this is better for their mental health, and that's really hard. It's really hard when people are 
commenting negative things about your body or your choices or your beliefs, especially when you're going through the journey. Because again, let's remember the fact that Millie herself was going through this journey of weight gain while sharing online. And so there's no question that I am sure there are people that were DMing her or just saying mean things. And I just, ugh, I just hate that. I hate that that would happen to her. So I definitely want to give props to her around the fact that she was someone that is someone, I shouldn't say was, but she is someone that is working to normalize weight gain in the fitness field as well. I think there's many other positive things that I could say about Millie and the work that she does. I feel like the stance that I always take is just how happy I am that people are being even open are to talking about their eating disorder and the negative effects of their eating disorder and the positive effects of recovery and how amazing food freedom is and how to work to accept your body. I mean, how could we take that as a loss considering all of just the horrible information that is shared online? I mean, that is such a pro to have more people out there talking about this. And I think having it come from all different sides is really what works to push this movement forward. And I just really want to express, you know, my gratitude for that and for her being someone that does that. There are so many things that we could go into on this podcast, but I think we've gone over the most important ones, in my opinion, before now diving into recommendations, takeaways, and critical thinking questions to ask yourselves to now decide how you want to interact with content and even some of these general concepts that we covered within the ebook and the episode itself. As usual, I am in no way going to tell you what you should do or should not do. I know that I gave pretty intense recommendations around the ebook because I do feel really passionate about that, but I still respect that everything is your choice. So just keep that in mind. The first area that I want to talk about is following people on Instagram. And although this could be true for Millie, and this is the context of the podcast we're currently discussing, this is true for anybody. You could apply this to my content, and I genuinely hope that you do for every single person you follow. Within this first point, I want you to ask yourself, how does it make me feel to watch what I eat in a day videos, before, see before and after photos, hear someone or see someone talk about triggering body image thoughts that they have, or any other point of content that could debate, could potentially trigger you or could be debated in its effectiveness or helpfulness. I think what's important to remember is that no matter how much you like someone's personality or no matter how much you feel like someone has good intention behind their post, it doesn't change the content of the post itself. And neurologically, it's still affecting you the same way. Watching a body check from someone and them sharing their day of eating and what I eat in a day that you don't like is still affecting you similarly to someone that you do like sharing that content. Yes, you may have more distaste towards the person you don't like. You may have more affection towards the person you do like, but the way that your mind is being affected by that is still the same thing. So you really need to ask yourself, 
if that is truly helpful to you, that type of content. And don't just ask yourself if you like it, ask if it's helpful to you. Is it pushing you towards your ultimate goals? Now, for some of you, like I was saying, I'm not triggered by that content. So in following Millie, for example, for the past four months, there was never a point where I looked at what I eat in a day or a video and I felt triggered. But at the same time, it's not something that's helpful to me either. It's it's not harmful, but it's not helpful. So at that point, it's a much less intense decision because you're basically asking yourself like, well, is this hurting me? I guess it's not hurting me. I mean, I could follow, but is it worth following? For someone out there that may be triggered by this type of content and knows deep down it's not helpful, that's the sign that you really should unfollow someone, whoever it may be. And I just want to bring up that the type of content that's not helpful doesn't just have to be what I eat in a days or before and after photos. It can be anything that can be unhelpful to you. That's what I'm saying. Even content that I share, maybe that's unhelpful to you. And I would validate and completely understand that. Now, the second thing I would bring up when it comes to following people on social media is evaluating what they are sharing and how that affects you based off of their current state. I know that sounds similar to the first one, but hear me out. I am someone that is fully recovered. And the only type of content that I ever share is around helping people to reach recovery or the past journey that I went through. I'm never going to post a story talking about how I am questioning if I should eat something or I'm worried about bikini body season. Number one, because I don't have those thoughts. Number two, because Even if there is a day where I don't feel 100% about myself physically, which of course those days happen, right? Where I don't feel the most beautiful person in the world. I'm not going to share that because I don't believe that my audience needs to see that. There are other types of recovery accounts. I wouldn't classify Millie in this way, but other types of recovery accounts that are sharing themselves in the throes of full-on eating disorder recovery. I mean, there's even accounts of people sharing themselves in residential I would ask yourself in that case, is that helpful to you? In the same way that I would ask yourself if it's helpful for you to follow someone that shares what I would call quote unquote relatable content around their body image and maybe even food and exercise journey. I did see some stories where Millie talked about struggling with taking rest days where she struggled with body image. I don't think I've seen any around food. Again, I haven't watched every single story that she shares, but I think you need to ask yourself Is it helpful for me to see this type of content where it could be considered relatable, but ultimately is still someone maybe in the specific type of place, especially if I want to get to the point where I am no longer worried about my body, no longer worried about rest days. And I think evaluating that is of utmost importance. And that doesn't have anything to do with Millie doing something wrong. It's totally her choice what type of content she shares but it does have to do with you knowing yourself. And that is the most important thing because influencers can't manage every single person and their triggers. As I was saying earlier, although they can try to do their best to not do things that are harmful to it, but we can manage unfollowing the things that trigger us. Now, the third thing that I would say is Evaluate if you enjoy following someone because of their content, 
and if that content is helpful to you or because of their personality. Now, something that I was very happy to find out is that Millie actually has another account called Amelia X Goldsmith, I believe. That's the username. It's linked in her bio at Millie G Fit, so you can find it there. I mean, how awesome. If you really love her personality, she's pretty active on that account. She has a ton of cute outfits that she shares. She has these sambas that I actually really want. <laughs> I was looking at the other day, the green ones, and it seems like she's also someone that is obsessed with green. So a fellow green obsession. I love that. Um, you can follow her there. Oh, she also has a cute wiener dog. Oh, I love wiener dogs and I want one. As I've said multiple times, she truly does seem like such a nice person and so many people have spoke to that. But if you've evaluated those first two thoughts and you think, you know what, maybe this isn't the best place for me to be right now just because of my journey, you can follow her there. So what the heck, best of both worlds, right? Now, the second thing that I want you to think about that isn't necessarily related to Millie, but I feel like is a big takeaway from this specific episode based on the empowered coaching stuff, the ebook message, and then also that one YouTube video that I mentioned that was talking about gaining muscle instead of gaining weight or instead of gaining fat, and even some of those like glute-targeted or aesthetic-based type of posts is the fact that full recovery is not being aesthetic focused. I know I've brought this up multiple times, but I think that it's the most important takeaway from this episode based off of some of the things that we've talked about. It is so attractive to think that there is this possibility that you can be fully recovered and no longer have bad body image days and have full freedom with food and be able to take exercise rest whenever you want and also still try to achieve aesthetic goals, still try to build specific body parts, still engage in these type of fitness or getting strong challenges, which I will say I did see that she recently partnered with a company called Shreddy to do a challenge in May, and that did make me feel a little bit sad. Not like sad as in, oh gosh, that's so sad for her. But just because of what we're talking about, I think I don't know where she is at and I am not going to speculate where she is at. I can't be in her shoes, so I don't know. But as a professional that has worked through these exact struggles with hundreds of hundreds of people and looked at the research, I can tell you that this fallacy of full recovery and focusing on aesthetic goals or focusing on strength just doesn't exist. You need to be able to take full breaks from exercise, preferably in your recovery. You need to not be counting your calories. You need to not be measuring yourself, weighing yourself. You need to be letting go of all of these control mechanisms and you need to work on the underlying emotions that come up when you do those things Full, complete recovery is not possible without that. And that's why something like that guide was the biggest concern to me. I mean, honestly, to me, it seems like most of the stuff that she was learned is probably coming from that Empower Coaching. But again, I don't know. That could be wrong. That is speculation. She didn't state that. 
And so maybe that's more at the root of it, but I'm just saying I really, really want you guys to understand that that is not full recovery. I'm so passionate about this. I have been in this space. I know how detrimental it is to exist in this continuous space of quasi-recovery that is due to thinking that going from being the skinny person to being the fit person is full recovery when really it's just a transfer of control because then what happens if you're no longer the fit person? What happens if you're not strong? Do you still like your body? Are you still okay with food? Are you still okay with eating if it's not fueling your workouts? You know, you really have to think about what the goal and the the end goal of recovery is, which is complete body acceptance and neutrality. And body neutrality says that our worth is not based in how we look, whether it be a good day or a bad day, whether it be for your strength or lack of strength. Our body is just a vehicle for us and we can appreciate it, but we refuse to base our worth in it. And that is what creates sustainable body image. So I know I really just went off on that, but it's so, so important. And I am, again, not trying to say that Millie is someone that is not at that full recovery, but I think no matter what, you need to ask yourself, if you are trying to achieve full recovery, what are the habits that you could be doing that are preventing you from that? Now, the last recommendation I do think is pretty clear, which is please do not buy the ebook. Please do not follow the ebook. That's the only thing I will speak really definitively on. And I don't do it to be offensive. I really just think that it is detrimental. And I think this really exacerbates or elucidates, I should say, the point that is the biggest takeaway here, which is be careful who you receive advice from on social media, especially if it's not technically in their scope of practice. You know, Millie is a personal trainer, so she is in her scope of practice when she is sharing workouts. She is not a dietitian. She is not a therapist. She is not a doctor. She is not someone that is qualified to speak about weight gain or recovery or nutrition recommendations or anything of that source sort. And you know, influencers, many of them have great intention and they really genuinely do want to help their audience, but having great intention does not equate to good advice. There is a very, very, very clear distinction between those things. And there's a reason why people like myself and therapists go to so many years of school, do certifications, do continuing education in order to make sure that we are offering the absolute best advice possible, especially when you're working in topics that are very sensitive. Because as I mentioned in the very beginning, saying one thing wrong to someone with an eating disorder could spiral them into a relapse. So it's a lot of pressure. Guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you could sense that this was meant to be just respectful as much as possible. And the only reason I went through this is because I genuinely think that there are things here that are potentially putting people in unideal scenarios with food, exercise, and body image. And as a dietitian, I just feel it is my duty to be able to talk about these things and to talk about these things. And ultimately, I know that there may be some people that don't like that I did it. And the person within me that wants everybody to like me 
struggles with that. But the person within me that knows that my ultimate goal with in my practice and on this podcast and as a dietitian and a person is to prevent as many people from as possible from developing worse disordered eating or eating disorders or disordered relationships with exercise or body image. I know that this stuff has to be done and I hope that conducting it in the way I did and trying to focus on the positives amongst things that are not helpful or could potentially be something that may not be best for you shows that. But if you have questions or thoughts that you want to share with me, please reach out. I'm open to discussion. I'm open to talk with you guys. I appreciate your opinions so much and I, more than anything, really appreciate your time that you would sit here during this very long episode and listen to me discuss these things. It's, it means more than I can explain. If you did enjoy this episode, please feel free to share it with someone that you think may need it. If you want to share it on your story, if you want to leave a rating or review, or if you want to do nothing, all of them are very appreciated and I think that's all that I have to say. Oh, oh no. The last thing is if you have a podcast topic that you want to request, you can do so in the show notes and it has a lot of other links in there too. So thank you guys. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day.